for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Hello and welcome to this special edition of BizTalk. I'm Lily Liu. Today we will focus on China's path to modernization, particularly in light of the recent two sessions policy setting meeting. As China continues to make strides towards building a modern socialist country, it is crucial to gain further clarity on the country's way forward in its modernization drive. And we will ex explore the reasons behind China's shift from following the Western paradigm to developing its own path of modernization that is suitable for the nation. We will also discuss how this approach is being received by the world and what specific policies are in place to ensure that the key targets of the Chinese modernization are achieved. And joining me today are our distinguished guests. Let me introduce them to you. Ms. Aphrodite Bledas, President of the Hellenic Chinese Business Chamber. Welcome to the show, Ms. Bledas. Mr. John Ross, who is a senior fellow at Chongyang Institute of Financial Studies of Renmin University. And he is also the former Director of Economic and Business Policy for the Mayor of London. And always a pleasure to have you on the show, Mr. Ross. And here with me in the studio, we have Mr. Victor Gao, Chair Professor of Suzhou University. Always good to have you with us, Mr. Gao. Let's start our discussion. I would like to start with you, Mr. Gao. Help us to better understand the term of Chinese modernization. And also, in particular, uh, what factors do you think contribute to China's confidence in choosing its own path of modernization? And what the problems that China has discovered from the Western model? Well, you know for sure that ever since 1978, China has embarked upon a pathway of reform and uh, opening to the outside world. And in a matter of uh, four decades, China has now become in the second the largest economy if we use official exchange rate as the benchmark and China is already the largest economy if we use purchasing power parity mm -hmm. as the benchmark. So there is no denying that China has achieved a huge economic and political transformation in China which benefited not only the Chinese people but also uh, the rest of the world as a whole. Therefore, when we talk about modernization in China, we have the track record, we have all the evidences to prove that China is still in the process of achieving a more enhanced form, more reinforced form mm -hmm. of modernization. China's modernization over the past four decades or so is very much based on several things. One is maintaining peace. China wants to maintain peace not only in our part of the world, but also promoting peace in other parts of the world. Secondly, maintaining stability because we firmly convinced, we are convinced that without stability at home, you really cannot really expect to develop your economy, to improve the living standards of the people. Now, the other thing is also very important, that is, development is the hard truth. Meaning, we need to channel all the resources uh, of the people, uh, all walks of life, to development. Because if you do not develop, if you do not grow, and if the government does not create a framework enabling people to grow, then by the end of the day, by the end of the day, you cannot expect that the living standards of the people will be improved. Mm -hmm. So I think by maintaining all these key elements. In a matter of four decades or so, China has been completely transformed. Mm -hmm. Great points there. I would like to hear from other uh, guests on um, what they think of uh, this 
their understanding of China's modernization. Uh, let, let me go to Mr. Ross first. Mr. Ross, so we were discussing this. So for a long time, China had been learning from the West, especially in developing economy and opening up markets. Uh, it has been gradually exploring its own way of development. Uh, some in the West do see China's different mentality as a challenge. What do you make of this mentality? And do you see China as a challenger or even a threat to the West? No, I, I, on the contrary, this is a tr China creates tremendous opportunities for other countries. I mean, if we go right back to the origins of economics, Adam Smith and you know the founding work of economics, the wealth of nations, most fundamental thesis is that uh, people cooperate with each other, are able to achieve higher standard of living than those who uh, act separately. I mean, it's the principle of the division of labor, and this applies between countries. If, if a country tries to be self-sufficient, it will have a lower standard of living than if it cooperates with other countries um, in, order to, in order to develop. And China's development, therefore, has taken not made the Chinese people before, but it's be, the trade as, you know, China's the world's largest goods trading nation. Trade is a two-way benefit between c countries. So China's not a threat to anybody. As regards its impact, in, in not many direct one, but the indirect one, it showed something which is extraordinary, which is, if we go back to 1949, China was almost the poorest country in the world. Only 10 countries are lower per capita GDP. Either next year or the year after, it will become by World Bank standards a high income economy. That means in, in a single lifetime, it's gone from being almost the world's poorest country to, to a high income economy. Now, the problem is that this will still leave uh, two thirds of the world's population in developing countries, not in high income economies. And they should be studying China to say, not to mechanically copy China, but say, wow, this, this really worked well. How, how can, what can we learn from it? So in both direct sense and indirect uh, sense, China is uh, on the contrary, great aid to the development of the rest of the world, not a threat to anybody. Let me go to Ms. Bladas. Ms. Bladas, I would like to get your take on how do you understand the Chinese modernization and what do you understand uh, of the significance of China exploring its own development model, its impact on the global economy? There is a tremendous change that has occurred in these years. And one thing I admire is the way China um, obtained to smoothly to smoothly um, modernize itself without getting any um, uh, uprights or uh, having having heavy problems. And I believe that this has been possible only for two reasons. One is, of course, uh, the way China is governed, the political system, but also it is due to uh, the people living in China the Chinese people are deeply impressed by their uh, thousands long civilization and they have a specific culture and idea on the way to behave. It, it wouldn't be, I can't imagine a model like China to uh, work, for example, in any of the European countries and must worst in, in, in Greece. So I believe that we have to take this uh, deeply into consideration when we are uh, considering uh, how China 
can pass its own model as a role model to other countries and especially to uh, European countries. So China has been exploring its own ways, but for a long time China had been learning from the West. So what are some of the uh, factors that China discovered in the Western model that China believes is not suitable for its own? Oh, if we compare the Chinese modernization with, let's say, the G7 nations mm -hmm. and many others in the developed countries, I would say there are sharp contrasts. Mm -hmm. Comparing the Chinese modernization, one thing stands out. That is, for more than four decades, China has been pursuing a pathway of peace, mm -hmm. meaning we do not engage in wars of occupation or aggression against mm -hmm. either neighboring countries or in other parts of the world, we have become the most uh, fearsome and uh, effective uh, advocate for peace. China has achieved its economic transformation by engaging with every other country in the world on equal terms. China is a big country, big population. However, when we promote trade with any country, big or small, we always deal with them on an equal basis. Mm -hmm. And the trade between China and the rest of the world is always on a mutually beneficial uh, basis. Mm -hmm. Now, China by today is already the largest trading partner with more than 130 countries and regions in the world. And if you look at each of these countries that China trade with, of course sometimes China has uh, surplus, sometimes huge mm -hmm. surplus, and sometimes China has uh, deficits, for example. Mm -hmm. But our goal is really to promote more balanced trade. So if there is a trade imbalance, for example, we want to really talk with these trading nations so that eventually China can buy more things. For example, for the past five years or so, mm -hmm. China has been promoting the China import-export. This is unprecedented in the whole world. And in promoting trade, China is not using sharp elbows, for example, to mm -hmm. force other countries to buy our Chinese-made products. China is not, for example, forcing other multinationals to move their capacities to China. No, every foreign company operating in China, which you know, there is a multitude of them, they come to China willingly on their own volition. China's modernization, in a sense, is a wing for China, is a wing for the rest of the world, and we are also very grateful to so many multinational companies and foreign companies which have set up operations in China and contributed a lot to our modernization. So China's modernization eventually will benefit not only China, of course, the world, and all its uh, you know, economic and trade partners as well. Ms. Blitters, we know that China has emphasized the importance of openness and inclusiveness in modernization, stressing the need for exchange and mutual learning to ensure a shared prosperity. What win-win cooperation do you envision with China? There are three particularities. The first one, which is very obvious, is the difference in size. From the standards that have developed, we, we, we target to several uh, different areas in which we possibly can cooperate, such as uh, infrastructure, logistics, trade, investment, but also intangible assets like culture, education, tourism, think tanks, NGOs. We largely can profit from an exchange in culture, an exchange in education, and this is something that is happening right now. We have many of the Greek universities uh, cooperating with Chinese universities 
because uh, we are a country that is quite strong in this um, area and uh, China can benefit from our uh, import input as we can benefit from the technological input of China to us. This is something we can always keep in mind. Uh, whatever we give and whatever cooperation we make has to be a really win-win cooperation, not in the papers win-win, but in the fact win-win. And in order for us to profit from what China has to input to us and China to profit from what we have to input to China, we have all, always to consider the, the parameters I mentioned before. So I believe that uh, culture and education are the two really hard assets to when we speak for, for cooperation. On the other hand, tourism had a really good go before the pandemic. Of course, the pandemic stopped all this and we are now um, expecting to see how uh, the reopening of the uh, frontiers can again enhance this uh, tourist uh, sector. Finally, and not, uh, not less important, the logistics are also a very um, promising sector, especially with uh, Costco having acquired the operation of the Piraeus port. Mm -hmm. This leads to a big facilitation for the Chinese trade towards Central and Eastern Europe. And uh, logistics is also a um, uh, promising uh, sector. There is a big path to really profit for the, both sides, both Greece and China, both Europe and China, from this cooperation. Let me go back to Mr. Gao. So we were thinking that since China's reform and opening up in 1978, China has been, you know, for the first few, let's say, years or decades, learning a lot from the Western way of, you know, developing its own its economy. However, some China is developing its own uh, path right now. And of course, we are two very different systems. However, some people in the West view China's differences as a threat. What do you have to say to that? No, I think uh, uh, these kind of suspicions and uh, agonies, for example, by some of the Western countries, first of all, they are barking on the wrong tree. Secondly, there are, of course, differences between China and many other countries in the world, including the developed countries. But these differences should not divide us. These differences should actually enrich the both sides of the equation. China has been unique, has been extraordinary, has been special for 5,000 years. Mm -hmm. And I will not be surprised if China will continue to be different, special, and uh, extraordinary in its own way compared with the rest of the world for another 5,000 years. But such differences should really contribute to multilateralism. Because if the whole world only has one facial expression, one color, for example, one mode of thinking, that will be a very dull world. I think the world will be more enriched if we have differences, if we have different culture, different civilization, and different ways of thinking things, and different ways of contributing to economic uh, vitality of the world. If we compare economic achievements there is no denying that China has achieved huge successes, much greater successes compared with the United States, Japan, the United Kingdom, for example, almost all the OECD countries. There must be a reason 
I think if the United States and many Western countries do not get to the bottom of this situation,、mm -hmm. if they keep barking at the wrong tree, first of all, it's not constructive. Secondly, it's not going to help them solve their own、mm -hmm. problems because China has figured out a pathway which is very productive, very efficient, and is constantly being re-amended and re-adapted. To the changing circumstances and challenges and opportunities, China has demonstrated huge amount of economic achievements. There must be something working right.、Mm -hmm. Now, in my view, the Western system seems to be a vehicle with all the four wheels lined up in opposing directions. Whereas in China, this vehicle or automobile also has four wheels, but the four wheels are lined up in the same direction. Generating huge efficiency and efficacy and、uh, productivity. This is how China has really emancipated its own economic achievements over the past four decades, and this will be continuing the enabler for the China's continued economic development. And to that extent, I think China and the rest of the world can really sit down on equal terms, compare notes, and figure out. Whether there is a better way for many countries in the world.、Mm -hmm. Great points there, and also we know that modernizing a country with over 1.4 billion people is no small feat.、Uh, so let's talk about the implications for the global economy, and I hope they are as significant as they sound. Mr. Ross, how do you think will China's modernization efforts impact the global economy? Well, it, it will have two things. If we look at it very strategically, we're, we're on the threshold of an extraordinary event in human history, which is at present time only 16% of the world's population has the advantage of living in high-income economies,、mm -hmm. and China by itself is 18% of the world's population, and, and by World Bank standards, as I say, either next year or the year afterwards, it'll become a high-income economy. That means that China has lifted more people. To the status of high-income economy, and all that goes with that, it's not just income; it's you know health, education,、uh, ability to protect the environment, cultural activities. It will have lifted more people to that status than all other countries in human history put together. So that's historically amazing. And then, if we look at the immediate situation, obviously the world economy was hit by the pandemic,、um, and all countries suffered a. Economic setbacks, but China grew in that time two and a half times as fast as the United States. It grew six times as fast as the European Union. That's in the last three years of the of the pandemic,、um, and it accounted for about thirty six percent of world economic growth, double that of the next country, which was the United States. So, whether you look at it in a broad historical perspective, or you just simply take the responses to the pandemic, China's.、Um, Performance is extraordinarily good for the world economy, and, and we know that what's the discussion here this year is China's economy is going to speed up this year. There is a discussion that the growth target of five percent has been set compared to last year's, which was three percent. It, it may be slightly above, maybe slightly below, but the Chinese economy is going to speed up. Whereas we know that the U.S. and European economy is going to slow down. This was even before the recent banking crisis. In the United States, which will obviously have ne negative effects, so China continues to be the main engine of growth of the world economy. So, both historically and in the media sense, China is the main locomotive development of the world.
Each day, there are millions of stories. Each one can open new perspectives, new possibilities. Wherever you look, we are there to see, discover, explore. We put the pieces together to find what really matters to you all around the world, all around the clock. Our reporters are at home across the globe. From our headquarters in Beijing and production centers in Washington, Nairobi, and London. China Global Television Network. Stories from across the globe, reaching people across the globe. CGTN. See the difference. Now let's uh, zoom in on the two sessions. So this is two sessions. We saw changes to China's institutional structure, its legislation, policy environment, which will have a profound impact on the economy and businesses in the coming year and beyond. So let me go to Professor Gao first. What is your observation, uh, the key takeaways from the two sessions in regard to China's modernization? Well, the two sessions came with a big bang and uh, finished with a big bang, mm -hmm. and it's a great success. For the coming five years, the top leadership has been fully lined up and fully empowered to lead the nation. And this bodes very well because uh, the coming five years will be crucial in China's modernization, industrialization, and uh, it will really push China further into the future. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure either at the end of this five-year period, around 2028, or no uh, later than 2030, mm -hmm. the overall size of the Chinese economy measured by official exchange rate will be number one in you the You will bet your house on that too, I yes. believe. <laughs> I have two houses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mr. Ross, uh, thank you for waiting all this time. Focus on the two sessions. Which specific policies do you believe will ensure the successful achievement of key targets in China's modernization efforts, like what we always talk about, the high quality development, common prosperity, and green economy? Well, I, I think the key to the success of China's economy is the well, recent one is the structure which was created in 1978 and which has continued to the present day and which has been maintained, which is the combination of, on the one hand, very large companies which are owned by the state and which provide a solid backbone for the economy and incidentally give it a tremendous anti-crisis potential. I mean, one of the things that has become very dramatic is, of course, the Western economies have passed through two very severe crises in the last, uh, well, in slightly over a decade. First, the international financial crisis, and then the uh, very deleterious economic effects of the pandemic. And now we have to see, we are at the moment which in a new banking crisis in the United States, and literally as we speak, mm -hmm. having proclaimed that they, their economy was very stable, suddenly you have in one weekend the second and third largest bank collapses in US history, which indicated mm -hmm. things were not as stable as was claimed. So these state companies in China, because they can move their level of investment up and down, gives China much, much stronger anti-crisis um, measures that it can take than other countries. And at the same time, it has a very dynamic private sector, uh, which, which is growing, um, with, we may say, within that framework. And therefore, China has maintained this structure, which is 
creating its the development of the of the two and then this is backed up by state policies for example on research and development i mean the last time was an international comparable study by the OECD of research and development expenditure. China's was about 85% of the United States, but it's but it's growing much faster than the United States. China's research and development spending is growing at 11% a year, and the US at 4% a year. So probably already China's research and development expenditure is probably higher in real terms than the United States, and certainly by 2030 it will certainly be bigger than the United States. So therefore, this means this is the underlying scientific and research development for China's high quality, um, high high technology um, development. And these are the policies which are going to continue to ensure the uh, success of the economy and the goal which has been set basically to double per capita GDP by 2035. Mm -hmm. These mechanisms which have been so successful will continue to ensure that China achieves this target. That's the key take which comes out of the two sessions uh, for me that the policies are in place which will enable it to hit these targets. What topics or issues from the two sessions did you pay the most attention to? Well, I'm an economist, so I, <laughs> I paid most attention to the growth rate and the discussions on the economy. I mean, I followed the other things, the discussion on uh, security and other things. But, um, you know, I've been writing on China's economy for more than 30 years, so I'm obviously looking at the, these types of things. I mean, but, but it, what, what, is the, what is the effect is not simply just the economy, it's what it means for the Chinese people's living standards. I mean, the whole purpose of economics and the reason study is not so that you can have more steel and concrete, it's so that people can have more leisure time and more education and live longer and have greater cultural activities. That's that's the purpose of the economy. Um, and that's what's achieved. I mean, even at the times, you know, I've been working in China now for what? Let me work it out. 14 years, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Even then, the improvement in the of people's living standards, their, their ability to take holidays, the amount of leisure activities, the how much easier it is to get around the country now because of the high-speed train systems. This is even in the time I've been there, let alone for somebody who's lived in China their whole life, their, their life is just getting better and better. And therefore, this is a product definitely of the economic development. And so it's the improvement of the life of the Chinese people. That's why I'm most impressed by it coming out of the two sessions. And I would like to... Um Toss my final question to Victor Gao. I mean, we can go on forever if we discuss this, but that's all the time we have for today. But before we go, I wanted to get your, your one piece of advice for global investors if they're closely watching China's economy this year. I think keep faith in China and hope for the best in China. I think China will continue to be the main engine of growth in the world. And the Chinese growth will contribute tremendously to global peace and stability. A stronger China is a friend of all countries in the world. China is a major force for peace and stability, and China opposes war of all kinds. So let's have a peaceful world. Have confidence in China. Absolutely. Right. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much. And let me introduce again our guests. We have Professor Victor Gao with us. We thank have you. Mr. Ross and Ms. Bladas joining us from London and Athens. Thank you both for your great insights. We really appreciate your time. And that's all for our special program, Chinese Paths to Modernization and the World. Till next time, bye for now. I'm Lily Lu.